thank you so much for making time to come out tonight. Really appreciate it. And, um, and, and these sessions have been really, really powerful. So we're going to continue on with our series on leadership practices. Why are we doing this? I, I, I should have bought a chocolate bar, but I don't. So I'm just going to chuck it out there and we'll give you a brownie point. Why are we running these leadership practice nights? <laughs> Absolutely. So we can lead well. Anyone else? Why not? It <laughs> seems as good a reason as any. But it's also to raise the culture and climate of leadership within the church, right? Because we are called to be leaders in various aspects of our lives. It could be in our employment, it could be in our families, it could be in our discipleship groups, or it could just be in our communities. But we are all called to be leaders in some way, means, or form. So tonight's topic is about responding versus reacting. So, so far in this series, you've heard much about the absolute need for us to walk in a manner of which we've been called. And the last time I presented, I made the comment that bosses react and leaders respond. But aren't they the same thing? All leaders... uh, eyes are on us, as leaders, sorry, all eyes are on us to lead by example and practice what we preach and to walk the talk. It doesn't immunize us against being caught off guard by an event, a remark, a criticism or an action or behavior, something that can send us from zero to fury in two seconds flat. It's in the flesh. Before we know it, we've reacted in a way that's damaged a relationship, betrayed trust, belittled or hurt someone, or made a bad situation worse. Uh, no matter what our good intentions might have been, it just seems to come out of us. In golf, they use a term to provide a second chance to a player who's just duffed a shot. Right? It's called a mulligan. It's a do-over. Right? So what's your mulligan? It could be the comment made in anger to a loved one, the behavior that you later regretted, the email that you sent before considering the feelings of the reader or the action that you committed to without considering its impact on others. These are obvious, right? But what about the subtle shake of the head or the roll of the eyes when someone says something that you don't agree with? Or perhaps the look you give your kids when they behave in a way that doesn't meet your expectations. It could even be as simple as a thought that crossed your mind when a friend confided a silly action to you. What on earth were you thinking? Or is it just me? (laughs) All right. So these are all examples of reactions that, as leaders, have the ability to undermine our leadership. So what's the difference between a reaction and a response? Well, I've got a description in your notes. So a reaction is instant. It's driven by beliefs, biases, and prejudice of the unconscious mind. So in other words, when you say or do something without thinking... That's the unconscious mind running the show. A reaction's in the moment and doesn't take into consideration the long-term effects of what you say or do. It can be survival-orientated and on some level a defense mechanism. It might turn out okay, but more often than not it's something you'll regret later. A response, on the other hand, often comes more slowly. It's based on information from the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, A response will be more ecological in nature, meaning that it takes into consideration the well-being of not just yourself, but those around you. 
and it weighs the long-term effects and stays in line with your core values. So first little thing for you to jot down tonight in your notes, how we react or respond to stimuli, stimuli, stimulus, stimulation, can have a significant effect on the outcome of a situation. It can influence others and speaks volumes about who we are as a person, not just as a leader. Let me give you some examples of recent reactions that you might have seen in the media recently. Last month, <laughs> bless you, <laughs> if you're going to sneeze anywhere, it's here, right? <laughs> Last month, Donald Trump was giving a speech at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. I already hear the groans. At the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, as he struggles under the weight of a series of major controversies, surprise, surprise, he's reacted to intense media scrutiny by announcing, no politician in history, I quote, no politician in history and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. I spent a little bit of time last night practicing with Donald Trump. It it didn't come out well. I've got the the hand gestures going. There you go. But I just haven't quite got the accent down. I'll say it again. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. I discovered this on a meme floating around on Facebook. As you do. <laughs> and, and at the bottom of the Trump quote, it had a picture of Nelson Mandela standing at the window of a cell in Robben Island where he spent 18, what was it, 18, 18 of 27 years in prison for standing against egregious human rights abuses against black South Africans. Donald Trump, react. Okay. I'm sure most of you got wind of the scandal faced by United Airlines. That's another goodie that's dominated the media recently. After a 69-year-old doctor from Kentucky had bought and paid for a flight home from, uh, from Chicago before being randomly chosen with three others to vacate his seat to make way for four standby crew members. After refusing the $400 and then the $800 worth of vouchers offered to him to vacate his seat, which he initially accepted, but when he found out that the only flight he could get was at 2.30 the next day and he wanted to get back home to see patients in the morning, United elected not to increase the payment further, they had an option to do so, or to offer it to someone else. Instead, they forcibly removed him with three aviation officers and in the process he lost two front teeth, got a concussion and a broken nose. Reaction. This event was captured on an iPhone camera, and that, as everything is, <laughs> Big Brother's always watching, and the 73 seconds of footage was posted on YouTube, and it's fair to say that the result for United was not ideal. Within 24 hours, there was a petition calling for the resignation of the CEO, and more than 100,000 signatures attached to it means that goes before, the, before Congress for them to discuss. United then subsequently refunded the fare for every single passenger on that plane. Puts into context the four or $800 that he was issued. Maybe they might have gone a little bit higher. Oh, and there was a small matter of their stock price dropping by 4%, which equates to wiping $1.1 billion off the value of your company. 
So reactions made in the heat of the moment can have some pretty dire effects. Jesus wasn't a fan either, to be fair. In the Gospels, we learn that when Jesus was seized in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter lopped the ear off one of the slaves of the high priest, reaction, Jesus responded by saying, put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Peter reacted, Jesus responded. Just to muddy the waters a little bit. A reaction and a response can even look the same to the untrained eye. So imagine for a second you're walking down Lampton Quay and a homeless man approaches you and asks you for some money for food. You could give him that money out of fear, embarrassment or guilt, reaction. Or you could give him the money because you're of the belief that you're here to help your fellow man in whatever way you can. Response. Same stimulus, same outcome, completely different operating system. So in your notes, the more we react, the less empowered we are because we're operating from underlying assumptions and beliefs. The more we react, the less empowered we are because we're operating from underlying assumptions and beliefs. See, the thing is, we get ourselves in trouble because of the filters that we feed information through. And there's all sorts. I've just noted a few down, but the list could be extensive. Personal context and beliefs, opinions and insecurities, expectations and preconceived ideas or outcomes, cultural backgrounds or upbringing. And all these experiences, memories, ideals, etc., etc., form the filter through which our unconscious mind processes information and forms a reaction or a response. Our brain's a bit like a computer. It processes an equation, but the answer or solution is only as good as the data or information entered into it. Garbage in, garbage out. So what are you feeding your computer? Furthermore, feelings like pride, anger, depression and fear serve to amplify this reaction further and out it comes did you like that that we got on the recording that's the dulcet tones of your flesh (laughs) reacting in times of pressure when we don't get what we want or what we don't or, or, or what we believe is right so we know we're sick but what's the cure So here I'm going to unpack five realities that if you take the time to go through and spend a bit of time thinking about, can lend themselves to helping you lead from a posture of responding, not reacting. Buckle up, because I'm going to start with a biggie. (laughs) Know your identity in Christ. And here I was telling you it was going to be a quick night. (laughs) We've been promised this posture in Christ, the ability to respond, not react. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Respond. And then I looked up identity on Google. It was a wiktionary, which I think is a wiki dictionary, something along those lines. And there were four key uh, descriptions for what identity is. Sameness, the quality or fact of being the same. 
So who are we the same as? Our parents, perhaps. Genetics certainly has something to do with it. But then you've also got the argument for nurture versus nature, right? So maybe our friends. You might have heard the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But even that's biblical, to be fair. Solomon, you remember him, he's that wise guy. Um, he said in Proverbs thirteen twenty, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So who do you surround yourself with? But what else does the Bible say about sameness? 1 Peter 1, 14-16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Sameness. Ephesians 5, 1-2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Sameness. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. We're not just called to imitate God, we're empowered through the Holy Spirit. I used to joke, good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. (laughs) That's just a pretty way of saying you learn the hard way, the school of hard knocks. But we shouldn't have to learn that way if we, have, if we have the mind of Christ, right? He's the rock. We can depend on him. We can learn from him. Another uh, description for identity, the appearance one presents to the world by which one is known. I used to joke with my staff um, that my job description when I was leading teams should have just read clown because <laughs> I spent the majority of my day juggling with a Smile painted on my face. (laughs) You see, the issue is this. If how we're feeling internally, and this is in your notes, is merely a reflection of our eternal, external reality, we will always be held ransom by something outside our control. So if how we're feeling internally is merely a reflection of our external reality, the things going on around us, We will always be held ransom by something outside our control. We're stuck in the world's operating system, a fleshy way of thinking, until we die to ourselves and have our minds renewed by God. So how do you present yourself to the world? Even as leaders, we're called to present ourselves as servants, not to lord it over others. This is biblical meekness. So meekness. When we think meekness, we think meek and mild, maybe cowering in a corner, not saying boo to anyone. That is a very, very different picture to biblical meekness. Biblical meekness is about controlled power. You imagine if a lion was seated next to me, has the potential to tear me apart at any second, but the fact that it doesn't is controlled power. It really puts a different slant on the meek shall inherit the earth. Controlled power. It's easy to bite back at somebody who bites you. It can be a lot harder to hold your tongue or refrain. Identity, the difference or character that marks off an individual from the rest of the same kind. So what's your character? Romans 12.2 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the, uh, what is the will of God, your character, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I know personally I have a much better chance of making good decisions and responding appropriately if I seek the will of God in any given situation. So again, what's the difference? What sets you apart? Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What sets you apart? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Identity, a sense of whom one is. So who are you? 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Who are you? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So do you know your identity in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So we're called to be a new creation made in the image of the Father, dead to our old ways of thinking and our fleshly way of processing information, and therefore equipped to respond in love, mercy, grace, patience, and tenderness. It's easy, right? Piece of cake. The thing is, it's possible to know all of this and not operate from it. We're called to be transformed by the knowledge of this, and for Christ to be revealed in us. So while you're working on that, and your new identity is being revealed to you, I've got four practical steps that you can take as a leader to respond appropriately when the pressure inevitably comes. The first is, have I missed a, have I missed one? Oh, really? You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll get over it. <laughs> See that? React. <laughs> I take on board your feedback and I'll make sure that it doesn't happen again next time. Response. <laughs> okay so embrace the calmness in my industry we all complete armed hold-up training and then pray we never have to use it the most important skill that you're taught um, to use is positive self-speak there's power in your words who's heard of the fight or flight um, response Yep, there's a few of you, cool. So the fight or flight response is an acute stress response causing shortness of breath, accelerated heart rate, an adrenaline shot, which most of us means the inability to focus. That's pretty much just me at dinner time in our house around the table with the kids. But in an armed hold-up, that's exactly what happens, right? All of a sudden you go into fight or flight. 
So um, positive self-speak might look like stay calm as opposed to don't freak out. Why? Why stay calm instead of don't freak out? You're telling yourself what to do as opposed to what not to do. If you start using words like freak out, all you're hearing is freak out, freak out. <laughs> all right. So positive self-speak. We talk to focus on proper breathing. What's proper breathing? Isn't this just breathe in, breathe out? Nope. Breathing deeply and slowly from the stomach. So um, this is a great one as well if you, uh, if you get nervous before you do a presentation, <laughs> right? If you put a hand on your chest and a hand on your stomach and start breathing, work out which one's distending. My wife's a nurse. I'm looking for, yep, cool. <laughs> the official term. I should have looked that up. should have wikied it. Um, <clears throat> all right, if it's coming from your chest, chances are you're taking short, shallow breaths. If it's coming from your stomach, you're taking deep, slow breaths, all right? can make those butterflies in the nerves go away quite quickly. Another way to embrace calmness is to assume positive intent. I'll let that just marinate with you for a second. Assume positive intent. Well, we're not in that situation, maybe. <laughs> I'm absolutely certain you really need this money. Yeah. I perhaps should have left a bigger pause in there, shouldn't I? Assume positive intent. It doesn't come naturally, though. I'll give you an example. If I'm late for work, it's because my alarm didn't go off, or I got a flat tyre, or the school drop-off took a little bit longer than expected. But if you're late for work, it's because you're lazy. <laughs> if I eat the last sausage roll at the team morning tea, love me a sausage roll, clearly, it's because I find, uh, it's because I skipped breakfast and had to race to work um, to run an important errand. If you eat the last sausage roll, it's because you're greedy and you're just not considering the needs of others. <laughs> if I'm having an engaging conversation with my wife, it's because I find her encouraging to talk to, with amazing wisdom and a compassionate heart. If you're having an engaging conversation with my wife, it's because you're a flirt. <laughs> Stop flirting with my wife. <laughs> I attended a, um, a presentation recently, and the presenter put this whole positive intent thing in a slightly different way. Uh, he, he referred to it as the three baskets rule. It went a little bit like this, a little bit like this, but also a little bit different. If he bumped into three baskets in a day, it was the trigger that helped him realise that they weren't being the baskets, it was him that was being the basket. <laughs> Aspects of the story have been altered to prevent unintended offence. All complaints to greg at therock.org.nz. <laughs> But that's what real, if you're like, what the heck was that all about? <laughs> Just wait till the end and ask somebody who's laughing at your table. <laughs> that's what real leaders do. In times of crisis or in times of pressure, they don't start pointing the finger. They look in a mirror. Okay? If your employee is not completing the work to the standard that you expect, look in the mirror. 
If the spark is missing from your marriage, look in the mirror. If your kids are keeping things from you, look in the mirror. I was talking to a good friend a few weeks back who shall remain nameless, and he might be in this room, and he told me that his 12-year-old daughter came home from school and told him, I kissed a boy today. Guys, how do we typically react to that situation? I use react on purpose. (laughs) Honey, get me my bat, a rubbish sack, and some duct tape. I'll see you in an hour. (laughs) And then we wonder why she's uncomfortable talking talking to us about the world that she lives in, right? So embrace the calmness. The next one, create some time and space. Experience is what you get just after you needed it. (laughs) Why? Because we haven't taken the time to let the dust settle. Our first response is really the right one. It's the fleshy one, but it's really the right one. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. James 1.19. Now I want to be clear that that's very different to burying your your head in the sand and hoping that it all goes away, that's not how to deal with, the, with pressure. A non-action is an action, right? So don't kid yourself. It's denial, and along with deflect and defend, that forms the three most common categories that our reactions fall into. And you guys all know what they look like. Deny, wasn't me. Deflect, he started it. Defend, yeah, but if only you hadn't... And there's a few more. Discount, could be worse. Deceive, how do you know it was me? Discredit, who gave you that idea? Or deal, what do you say we just pretend this never happened? Emails are a great example where we can control time, but they're also super dangerous. On more than my share of occasions, more, more occasions than I care to admit, I've been guilty of firing off or firing back a knee-jerk reaction that gave me a sense of satisfaction in the flesh, sure, but it wasn't constructive and certainly didn't reflect Christ. These days, after learning a few lessons the hard way, I park my reply in my outbox, take a wee walk or grab a wee drink, and, uh, and then return to the email later and ask myself, do I really need to send this email? Okay. Now, there are times as a leader where you need to send that email. Not only do you need to send the email, but you can't afford to take too many concessions in sending it. You need to be firm in your stance. All right? Um, what, I would con- what I would encourage you to do at that point is to reread that email and work out what is fact and what is emotion. Because I can pretty much guarantee you if you rep- reply or react an emotion you're going to get a very different approach than if you reply in fact, um, and not in a good way. So cut out the emotion, stick to the facts. Taking time to consider your response might mean 30 seconds, or it could mean 30 days. And at times we may not have control over how much we're permitted. So you might consider some tactics to buy yourself some time. And that starts with identifying what your triggers are and coming up with coping mechanisms that work for you. You might feel the person providing feedback or making a comment or voicing their opinion is way off the mark. You might feel that the criticism or feedback was out of line, irrelevant, 
or even hurtful. You still owe it to the person who's made time to provide that feedback, to thank them for their feedback, and then I encourage you to find some space to go and consider what that is. Because once you can get past the fleshly emotion stuff, there might just be something in there that you can use. See, the thing is, us give-it-to-me-straight people can be pretty brave until we're actually given it straight. (laughs) And then we allow the emotion of the situation to rob us from the learning. And that's the real shame. That's where the loss is. Next point is ask better questions because detail is important. Remember, offense is personal, right? Information's passed through your personal filters and the result is words, actions, or behavior that have offended you. As I mentioned earlier, this could be the last thing intended, but it could also be as simple as the mood that you're in when you receive the information. That's why I mentioned emails can be real dangerous because they lack context. The meme on your page is a perfect example of how our imagination can fool us with all sorts of trickery. Go on, put your hand up if you genuinely read that in his voice. (laughs) I get sucked in by that every time. Our imaginations take on attitude or mood. Um, uh, Sorry, excuse me. Our imagination takes on our attitude or mood and uses it to fool us into seeing or interpreting things that may have never been intended. Okay? I was talking to somebody earlier um, tonight, and it could be as simple as you've had a conversation with your boss. Perhaps the last conversation you had with your boss or your friend or your partner was of a stern nature, was perhaps not as flowery as what you might have liked it to be. But if, they, if you then get a written communication from that person, regardless of where they were at when they sent it, you're then reading that with the filter of that previous conversation, right? So let's say your boss sends you an email clearly and concisely reminding everyone, outlining how to dispose of sensitive information. We get that in our industry all the time. And earlier in the week, he asked you some questions about your personal process to dispose of this information. Was he asking you to test your knowledge? Yep, probably. And is there a chance that you've been doing it wrong previously? Yep, probably. So we take offense. We feel like we've been singled out and that it's a personal dig at you. In reality, his primary concern was with the security of that information to protect all parties involved including you. So if in doubt, seek clarification, ask appropriate questions, and ensure that you have all the information before you respond. If you're a leader and you're in the habit of sending these emails out or having to communicate these sorts of things, it's about making sure that you provide clear rationale, the why. Remember that from night one? This can often diffuse these types of situations before they even occur. Finally, seek wise counsel. Might seem obvious, but here's a few tips for you. Firstly, don't make it someone else's problem. That's the deflect part, right? One of the house rules that we agreed to work in within my team was uh, don't come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution. If you haven't given any thought to what the solution to the problem is, then it's not wise counsel. You're just complaining, and that doesn't help anyone. When you're seeking wise counsel, it makes sense to speak to someone who thinks radically differently to you. 
And if you can do it in a safe environment where you can robustly and honestly duke it out and convey your respective opinions, um, then chances are you're going to see it from a different perspective or at least understand a different perspective. If you're sharing an issue or an event with someone knowing full well that they're going to agree with you, that's not wise counsel, it's just gossip. (laughs) And we all experience that to some degree in the workforce, right? We're called to do life with each other. That's why I'm so passionate about discipleship groups, about this cafe being a success, because I hear the meetings on a Sunday and I'm like, whoa, that was cool. But it's not until I'm talking to somebody about it that I start to get increased revelation and increased understanding because it's not just my filter, my interpretation at that point. I'm starting to build on that through others, you know, through the things that other people have heard or experienced. But if you're serious about being meaningful, (coughs) that means being real and being prepared to have some courageous conversations and in turn being open to difference of opinion or correction. But ultimately, that's how we grow. Life's not all beer and Skittles, unfortunately. So you have to be prepared to deal with some situations that will challenge you and those around you. All the more reason to ensure that you're responding, not reacting. So at the beginning of this, I gave you some examples of reactions, some that defy belief and cost people dearly. But responses can do the same. In the book of Acts, we hear about Stephen, who knew that the Gospels weren't just for the Jews and that all might be saved by believing in Christ. He was stoned to death for preaching this message. And his response in the midst of his execution, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Response. He knew who and whose he was. His identity, his sameness, his character was that of Christ, who, as you know, also spoke these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he hung on a cross in response to our sinful nature and his Father's calling that we would be free. So there's some considerations for you guys to discuss amongst your tables. And I've got some questions there for you. The first one is, What situations do you find yourself reacting, and what are your triggers? Remember, if we really want to grow, we've got to be able to be real with people, right? So I encourage you to take that opportunity. What techniques could you employ to assist you to respond instead of react? The reality is you can hear a bunch of stuff from up here. You can hear a bunch of stuff on a Sunday um, in the main auditorium, right? I heard a story once of... uh, Chef. And this chef knew all the great recipes, knew all the amazing ingredients, and knew how how to put them together in just the right way. She spent all her time preparing these amazing meals for her customers, to the point where by the time she got home at night, her clothes were just saturated with the beautiful aromas and flavors of the meals that she'd been making. But her secret was she was dying inside. She was anorexic. So she's surrounded by all this amazing food, but never partook of it. Therefore, it never transformed her. It never gave life to her. We don't want to end up in the same situations, right? So how can you actively take some of the stuff that you picked up tonight or that you are aware of to encourage others and, uh, and, and use it to 
um, to assist when it comes to responding instead of reacting. And then the last one, the chunky one, do you know your identity in Christ? So we've mapped a little bit of stuff out for you for, for uh, consideration. So if you get to that one, then, um, then good luck. Enjoy it. Have some of that robust discussion and conversation. Thanks very much.